From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Discerning Marriage Podcast, hosted by Elizabeth Busby. Hey, y'all, it's Elizabeth here. Welcome back to the Discerning Marriage Podcast. I have someone on my podcast today who accompanied me through the deep ache I experienced after my huge college breakup I've told y'all a little bit about. And in the intervening single years that it was really only four years, but it felt like a decade. Um, And I didn't actually know her. I read her blog. (laughs) Um, But the Lord and his providence has have led us together in person-ish. We're on Zoom. Um, But I have with me Christina Jalloway. Oh my gosh. I don't think I've ever said your last name. Is that how you say it? Jolloway. 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 Perfect. People say Jolloway, so it's okay. Jolloway. Christina Jolloway, known at the time that I discovered her as the evangelista. Hi, Christina. (laughs) Hi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited, y'all. I cannot tell you how much I'm fangirling over here. She is one of those people. I read her blog and you know, when you read blogs, you kind of feel like you know someone, but you don't. Um, And so getting to meet her in person has been wonderful and her work was incredibly influential. Like I said, I'll talk more about that later, but I'm beyond excited to get to share her wisdom with all of you. Are you ready to get started, Christina? I am. Awesome. Would you begin by explaining for us your experience of how people view being single? Well, I think that the most common view I encountered and still encounter is that it's sort of a holding pattern or a waiting time or an in-between time when you are kind of waiting for your real life to start or Mm -hmm. your vocation to start. And so therefore there's really nothing, the church doesn't have much to offer you in that time um, in terms of vocational support. And so you just kind of are in limbo in a way. And then that's, that's the way I I felt that way uh, for sure for some of my single years and I was single. I mean, if you start single counting single years, when you turn, when you leave college, I was single from until I turned 33. So over a decade. Mm -hmm. Um, and I definitely felt like I was waiting for my real life to start until I finally realized that that was a terrible way (laughs) to look at it. (laughs) not, Not what the Lord wanted. Um, but that took me until I was really in my early, like 30, 31, 32. I mean, I think I spent the majority of my twenties just trying to white knuckle it and wait and, Mm. you know, be strong and distract myself. Um, and I had many moments where I was miserable and did not like being single and cried and, in prayer and was begging God to take that cross away from me. But I never, it took really good therapy and spiritual direction to help me to see that this was not some sort of like, my life wasn't waiting to begin. It was already, I was already living and I was not living with the intentionality and the joy and the generosity that the Lord was calling me to, because I was so fixated on marriage as like, that's the end all be all. That's the thing I'm supposed to be doing. And until I get there, I can't really do much, or I can't really enjoy my life, or I can't really have a community. I can't really have, um, 
you know, the kind of relationships that I truly want. And, you know, that just was a lie from the devil. Mm -hmm. And I have spent a lot of time writing and speaking and just sharing that I don't want other people to fall into that trap either, because that's not what the Lord wants for us when we're single. Amen. So will you please elaborate on why it's toxic, right? Why that's not what the Lord wants um, and what an alternative healthy view of single life is. So I think it's toxic for multiple reasons. One is that it reduces vocation to, you know, either you're married or your religious life. End of story. Those are your vocations. And there's no room for an understanding of God calling you to something particular, like a personal vocation within your, in that, that spans your entire life. It's not just for when you get married or when you become a religious, it's something that the Lord is calling you to right now, because it's how he created you and what he created you for. And a way of kind of getting in touch with that is by discovering what your charisms are, what your unique gifts that God has given you that he wants you to develop and he wants you to um, share with the world. And that is something that I'm thankful that I discovered very early on in my life that teaching was one of my charisms because that was my, even when I was miserable in my personal life as a single person, the one place that I feel like the Lord was just very merciful and kept, you know, kept calling me out of myself was my teaching. And I taught high school theology for nine years and I'm thankful for that. But I think there are a lot of single people who are in jobs that maybe they're not, they don't feel like this is my life's work. You know, this is what Mm -hmm. I'm called to do. This is an outflowing of my gifts of my charisms. Um, So I think that, a healthy approach to the single life is seeing it as, you know, this is where God has willed me right now. And so wherever God has me right now, that's where he is. He's not in some future that I don't know about that. I can't possibly predict. He's not in the past. He's, he's right here. He is in my reality as it is today. And so waiting for him to show up later is not a Christian attitude, because that's assuming that, that he's not in the present with you. And so I think a big, um, a big attitude shift or, or mindset or perspective shift that happened for me was seeing that the Lord could use me. The Lord could bless me. The Lord could make me happy and not in like the superficial emotional sense, but in the like sense of this deep satisfaction, I was where I was meant to be without a husband Hmm. because a husband is not the end all be all of existence. Marriage is not the end all be all of existence. And I had made, and I think many single people do this. I had made my vocation into an idol and into this missing puzzle piece that until I had it, I couldn't be happy. I couldn't travel. I couldn't do all these things that I wanted to do. I didn't need to, you know, since I wasn't married, I really didn't need to worry about cleaning my room or saving money or, you know, doing these really like very practical 
self-care type things that are really just about being an integrated person, um, which I think the Lord wants us to be. And I was kind of making excuses for myself. So I was like, I'm single. So I'm not in my vocation yet. So I don't have to really like dig deep and, and ask these hard questions about, okay, where, where is my hope? Where is my joy? Where am I placing my, where's my heart? Where's my treasure, you know? And so it took, like I said, when I got to my thirties, um, and I finally got into some really good therapy where I was like starting to really be honest. Um, I had been in therapy off and on my whole twenties and some of it had been helpful. I don't think it had not, I don't think it was pointless, but I was not ready to really go deep. And part of the reason was because I had an anxiety disorder that was not being treated. So right. when I finally got on medication for my anxiety disorder and was, my mind was quiet enough that I could actually like be truly honest in therapy and go really to the hard, hard places. Then I was able to see that so much of my relationship with the Lord had been, um, it impeded, had been hurt, had been wounded by things that had happened to me in my relationships in the past and my family of origin. And I had made marriage into this, like, this is the ultimate validation of who I am. This is the ultimate validation of my worth, my value as a woman, my beauty, all those things. And that had more to do with my wounds from childhood and adolescence than it did with anything related to vocation. Right. And so when I finally got that help, I was able to see, okay, so what I'm really afraid of is death. What I'm really afraid of is being alone. What I'm really afraid of is that Jesus does not love me enough Mm. to make me happy, that he can't really make me happy. And so I have to look to a husband or I have to look to these other things outside of him to satisfy me. And when my spiritual director helped me to see that time in prayer, helped me to see that therapy, helped me to see that all these factors came together. And that was when I was finally able to say, okay, so I'm going to do, I'm going to live my single life as if this is my actual life, like the life that God is calling me to right now, because I could die tomorrow and I don't want to die after living a life where I've literally just been waiting for a human to come and fill this need that I have for the Lord. And so that was a watershed moment for me. And I was like when I was 31 and it's just, I, the irony that it took me that long. I mean, and I know there are people, I mean, my mom says it took her until she was in her fifties to realize that. And so I'm much further <laughs> well, ahead her vocation. Her, yeah. You know, yeah. But I'm thankful that I came to that point before I got married, because if I had gotten married with that attitude that this husband, and I told my students all the time, your husband can't satisfy you. Only the Lord can satisfy you. I I knew that intellectually, but that was not where I was in my heart. Right. And I'm so thankful that I didn't get married until after I really embraced that truth, because I would have been. I mean, I, I just know my marriage would have gotten started in a much harder place yeah. than it did. 
You may have uh, even chosen someone that wasn't actually a great fit yes. for you because he felt like he could meet those needs. Yes. He didn't realize he wasn't God or whatever, right. um, well, and, and he was and or he was trying to meet them yeah. instead of leading you to the Lord. Yes. Which would have been that a fire. I almost, I mean, I didn't almost marry him, but I was in a relationship with someone that was not right for me. And he knew on some level that we weren't right for each other, but he had a really hard, like we both had a hard time letting go of it because for different reasons, my reason was I was afraid nothing else would come along Mm. and this was as good as I could get. And what if I'm just being too picky, all those things that people say to to themselves to to justify a relationship. They know deep down is not right for them. And it was literally after I like gave it a second chance. Um, we had broken up already before I gave it a second chance and he was the one who finally was like, look, I know there's someone better than me for you. And I was really mad at first because me along for a long time, but Um, but I was ultimately very thankful because truly like the next day I was introduced to my husband. Oh my God. So it's, I mean, Providence is funny, but it's, I mean, yeah, I, if I hadn't come to that place where I could let go of that relationship, finally, um, I, I don't know where I would be now. I don't think I'd be married to Christian. So I'm very, very thankful for that. Wow. So you mentioned therapy. And this is something that you talk about on your blog. Um, find a good therapist, find a good therapist. And, um, thanks be to God, I found a good therapist. Um, and then it led me to want to become a therapist. Once I'd done a lot of really good work with her, it was actually really funny. We, she was so, so, so good. And I, at one point she was seeing me three of my best friends and my sister, because I just kept referring. <laughs> we would be out in public talking about her. Her name's Anne. Uh, and someone would so- be like, who's Anne? I was like, Oh, she's our therapist. Like <laughs> love her. Um, Yeah. So a good therapist, this is something that you've talked about before. And I just, if you could take a second to elaborate on that a little bit, we had Dr. Greg Botero on to kind of debunk the myth that you could only go to therapy if there's something like, like if you're schizophrenic or something, if there's something like really, like it's only for, yeah, like super sick people. It's not, it's not, it's not. Um, And it doesn't have to be for a long time, depending on what's going on. It can be for a short time, but could you talk a little bit about the benefits of therapy when you're single and, and using therapy as an opportunity to grow and encounter the Lord? Oh my gosh. I could talk about this for a very long time. So I'm going to try really hard to keep it short. (laughs) Um, I truly think it is the most other than frequenting the sacraments and developing a prayer life, I think going to therapy is the best thing you can do for yourself and for your future Mm. vocation. Um, If you're called to marriage, it's, you're not just doing it for yourself. You're doing it for your future children. You're doing it for your husband or wife. If you're called to religious life, you're doing it for your future community, Mm. for anyone that you minister to. Um, If you end up being single for the rest of your life. You're doing it for every person that you encounter and the people that you're in relationship with. So there's no reason not to do it Mm -hmm. in my opinion, because we are, we live in a broken world. We are parented by sinners who, Mm -hmm. whether or not they inflicted developmental trauma on us, which a lot of people don't understand that you don't have to be abused sexually or physically to be traumatized yes, by your yes, parents. Yes, yes. Um, you can have really beautiful, holy, loving parents who 
traumatize you. Mm-hmm. And there can be trauma in your life without you going through like a post Vietnam war PTSD reaction. Yes. Yes. And so I, I'm of the opinion, I think pretty much anyone who lives in this world in our current modern day situation could probably benefit from therapy. And the reality is that we've all been wounded. We've all been hurt. And some, sometimes the Lord really does come into it, like through prayer, through the sacraments and he works, you know, healing and we, we are freed from burdens and from besetting sins and things like that. And the Lord absolutely does that. But there are wounds that are in our brains that are, that are, you know, it's neural pathways that have been hurt, that have been destroyed because of, you know, broken attachments and things like that. And the Lord has given us, I truly believe the Lord has given us the field of counseling and therapy to help us heal in those ways. And so we don't have to wait until heaven for them, those wounds to be healed because he wants us to be able to love freely. And the more healing you receive in, in terms of your own ability to regulate your emotions, your your ability to um, move past the things that have wounded you and hurt you, your ability to forgive those who have wounded you, um, those when you get the, that kind of healing and therapy, you're able to love better. That's just, I mean, for me, I see the fruit of therapy every day in my ability to be patient, more patient. I know like a billion times more patient with my toddler and more empathetic and more um, just able to regulate my own feelings around his behavior than I ever would have been pre-therapy. And I know it's made me a better mother. I know it's made me a better wife. I am able to engage in very difficult conversations and hard moments with my husband in a way that I never would have been able to if I hadn't gone to therapy. And I know this because I know how I used to handle difficult situations in relationships. I know how I used to handle my own emotional dysregulation and it was not good. And I hurt, I hurt people. Mm. I guys I was in relationships with, I hurt my friends. I hurt my family. Mm. I hurt myself. And it's a cliche for a reason. Hurt people, hurt people. people. The more more you're hurting, the more you're going to hurt others. And you're not going to intentionally do it. Right. You're trying not to probably you're like, I don't want to do this because I'm hurting, but you don't know how to act any other way. You just don't know how it's a habit. Those things are so deeply ingrained in yes. our brains. Yes. And so until you can do the, the hard work of rewiring your brain, basically, which is what yes. good therapy helps you do. Sure does. You're going to be stuck in those patterns of behavior. And one of my favorite podcasts is called The Place We Find Ourselves, which is um, a therapist in Colorado named Adam Young. He's a Christian. He's an evangelical. He's not Catholic, but he is brilliant therapist. And he talks about how, you know, how do you know if you, if you've been traumatized or if you need to go to therapy, the symptoms don't lie. So if Mm. you look back in your life and you see a trail of broken relationships and you can't really explain why all those relationships are so messed up and you want to blame other people for them, (laughs) yes, that probably means 
there's some developmental trauma that needs to be worked out. Or if you look back in your life and you don't see any brokenness because you've <laughs> never gotten into a conflict with anyone because you're so terrified of conflict and you just have stayed on the surface in all your relationships, that probably means that there's some trauma and you need to get help. And I just, I wish, oh gosh, I wish I should just convince every person <laughs> to go to therapy. And I know it's not possible that financially for some people, which is un unfortunate, although there are a lot of opportunities for people to get, you know, on, be on sliding scales and things like Absolutely. that. A lot of therapists will sometimes they're on insurance. Yeah. And sometimes they're on insurance. Um, I, I often encounter the, I can't afford it thing. And I, I really wonder how true that is. I mean, I'm sure it is true for some people, but I do think for some people, it is an excuse. Um, Reading things about doing it when you're single is probably you have a job. And so yes. probably you have a lot of discretionary. Spending. Yes. You have more disposable income than you do when you're married. Absolutely. And so if you look at your finances and prioritize my healing, my self-care is what is going to take priority for these next three months, four months, six yes. months, and you reallocate your funding to be able to do it. I think that's one of the really great benefits of doing it when you're single. Um, yes. That was certainly my experience. Um, and time. You have way more yes. time, way more time. Yes. I don't my how busy you think you are. You yes. have more time. Yes. Then you will, if you are called to marry. Yes. My therapist was not on insurance, but she was so good for me. And I was a missionary and in grad school. Like I remember at the time, it was just from a financial perspective, I was like, there's no way, but I just reallocated and I looked and I figured it out and it was the best money I've ever spent. Yeah. And I, Maura so Burr, amazing. Um, well now she's Maura Presler, but she's the, um, she started Made in His Image, which is a recovery website for women who've suffered from abuse and have, mm. especially with um, eating disorders. And she worked, I think three or four jobs at one point. So she could pay for her therapy because she wow. was going weekly. Sure. She had a lot of stuff, um, a lot of abuse in her past, a lot of trauma. And, but she, did it. And I mean, I think of that, I think of her and I think if she can do that, then anyone can. I mean, yes. with, with enough conviction that yes. this is important, you can, you can make it happen. And she, she wrote this beautiful post. I think it was on Instagram, but when she had her first son, she, cause she's married now and she has three boys and she held him to her and she looked at him and she thought of all the years that she spent in therapy, all the jobs, all the, you know, all the jobs she took just so she could pay for her therapy and all the dark places she had to go to in those sessions and to work through. And she, she looked at him and she said, I did it for you. And it just always, <laughs> oh my gosh, it just gets me because that's when I look at my sons, I think I did it for you because mm -hmm. my mom, you know, she didn't get to go to therapy until she was in her fifties mm. and she had major trauma in her life. And her, one of her biggest rallying cries in my life was go to therapy before you get married, go to therapy before you get married. Go mama. I know. So sounds amazing. <laughs> I'm so thankful for her. Oh, and she realized that because of her trauma that was un not worked through, she hurt us. Sure. And so she was willing, she actually helped us out with therapy, all of my oh, sisters and I, um, at different points in our lives, which is such a huge gift. Mm -hmm. And I feel super blessed that I was able to receive that. But I, I saw my mom 
suffer because she wasn't able to work those things out before she got married and mm. kids. Mm. And, and you suffered. Yeah. And I suffered. Because she hadn't done it. And, you know, all of everyone that I know who's gone to therapy post marriage and kids says they wish they had done it earlier. <laughs> I mean, I've never met anyone who was like, man, I'm really sorry that I'm really happy. I waited until I had like four kids under my belt before I started going. No (laughs) joke. Cause like the freedom that you experience after working through all that stuff is something you cannot comprehend when you're in bondage. You can't imagine that you could be free. You can't imagine what it feels like to be free. Like it just, oh we are on the same page about this. And I'm yeah. so glad we were able to talk yeah. about it because y'all really so the good. greatest gift. The yes. Greatest gift yes, yes, yes. Yes. So in addition to therapy, what are some other concrete ways that people can thrive while they're single or anything um, you recommend doing in addition to therapy, I, of course. <laughs> yeah. I recommend, um, that you really pour yourself out as much as you possibly can for others because, you have to choose to do it when you're single in a way that you don't have to choose to do it when you're married. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> or mom changing diapers. When you're in a religious life or when you're a parent. Yeah. Those things are That's just, true. those things for pouring yourself out are they just, they're built in and there's no way you can avoid them. Yep. I mean, I guess you could, but. Then your un- humans will die. Your little humans will die because they need you yeah. <laughs> to pour yourself out to keep them. They'll literally die if you <laughs> don't take care of them. Yes. So as a single person, you have this opportunity to exercise truly like a heroic kind of virtue and generosity mm. um, because it is a total choice. You do not have to put yourself into any trouble when you're single. And so the ways that I, I look back and I see that I did this and I didn't do it perfectly or all the time or anything like that, but I really, I knew that unlike some of the married teachers that I worked with, I didn't have to go home right away at the end of the day. And I didn't, I could go to my students games and I could do the things that if I had kids would be a lot harder and I could spend a whole day on Saturday and grading and writing like a ridiculous amount of comments on my kids' papers um, because I didn't have the obligations of marriage and family. Sure. And I was able to build relationships with my students that I would not have been able to build otherwise. And it's not to say that married teachers can't have really great impact on their students. They absolutely, but it's different. Their priority is their husband and their children as it should be. Exactly. And that apostolate is your priority right now. Yes. And I also had the opportunity to be a catechist, to do RCIA, to like really volunteer at my parish in a way that I cannot right now. Right. Not in this season. Someday I will be volunteering at my parish again, I'm sure, but I can't do that right now. And so I'm so thankful that I did those things when I was single, because I really was able to sacrifice my own personal time and energy and resources and give to the church. And that was a huge blessing. I would, my, my sister got married. My youngest sister got married. Oh. When I was 22 oh. and I was 25 and she started having kids. And, um, I actually ended up moving out to DC for a while while she was in the throes of having her first three kids. She has four little girls now. 
And I was able to go babysit for her. I was able to give her and her husband nights away. I was able to just give her some relief by playing with the girls when they were super high energy and she was just totally tapped out. And I didn't understand why she got so happy to see me when (laughs) I came. (laughs) Until now. But now I do. Now I get it. And (laughs) I realized what a gift it was that I was able to give her that time. And, and I was able to build a relationship with my nieces that I still have today. I mean, there's just no matter how much I love my other nieces and nephews who have come since I got married and had my own children, my first two nieces, I will always have a special bond with them because I was there from the time they were born and Mm. I got to watch them grow up. And I just have it. There's something so special about that. So I feel like, you know, if I had had more to give, if, and this is the other reason why therapy is so helpful, even though I was able to give a lot as a single woman, um, during my twenties, I was so, um, just so stressed, so anxiety ridden, so going in and out of depressive episodes, um, that I had a limited amount that I could give. I mean, I was still, I got so, overwhelmed easily Mm -hmm. by my emotions. I did not have, I slept terribly. I mean, I actually sleep better now as a mom (laughs) with your kids, baby than I did when I was single before I got on medication, because I was just, I was truly burning the candle at both ends emotionally. So it's kind of a miraculous thing that I was able to give as much as I was. Um, But when I was able to get the help that I needed, I was able to give more. I was able to give more out of in freedom and in peace Mm. without this sense of like, I need to do this so that I can distract myself from my memory or whatever. Right. Um, So yeah, I think pouring yourself out in whatever way God is calling you to do. And I'm sure right now, especially if you're in a place where there's a lot of COVID restrictions, it feels like there's not much you can do. Right. And that is a unique place to be in for sure. But one thing you can do always is you can pray. And as I think a single person has an opportunity to live a consecrated life in some ways without being consecrated, Yeah, you can have long times of prayer and focused and like really enter into scripture, really enter into spiritual reading all those things that it's much harder to do once you're in your vocation, unless you're a contemplative Sure. But most people aren't called to that. So unless you're called to that vocation, you're not ever going to have the kind of time to pray that you're going to have in this point in your life until maybe you're like an empty nester or something. Um, And that's a a huge gift. And I miss those times. I miss being able to pray like I used to, but I'm so glad I did it. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad I went to adoration. I'm so glad I got to mass early and prayed. I'm so glad I stayed after mass and prayed. I mean, I can't do that anymore. Right. Um, and it built a foundation so, in your relationship with Christ yes. that you're building on now. Yes. And I'm able to, like, there's that, it's like, you know, I, I would, I guess I would compare it to if, you know, for some reason, my husband had to like go away for an extended period of time. And the only communication we could have was letter writing or something like that. Our foundation and our relationship that we've built up over the past, you know, not that long, four years, 
would be so helpful in maintaining a relationship through that period where all we could do is write letters. So your the foundation you're building in your relationship with Christ right now is going to help sustain you in those periods where you can't do much more than write letters, so to speak. Like I can't sit down and journal as long as I used to. That was my favorite way of praying. And I love journaling and I can't do that. I can, right. you know, I can read scripture. I can do the Magnificat. I can do find little pockets here and there to pray, but I miss that. I wish I could still do that, but I know he's with me. And I, I, I still feel like I am close to him. He is close to me, even though it's just not the same. And right. probably won't be the same for a while. And that's okay. It's, a yeah. different it's beautiful because you're being faithful to where you are now. Um, but because you have that foundation, it's easier to remind yourself, I can do this in the future. Like this is a season and yes. the Lord, the Lord will give me the grace to sustain my prayer life in this season. If I'm faithful to, you know, the Magnificat and scripture, and whatever yeah. you've decided works for you now, but there's that peace and that hope that in the future, it will come back because of the yes. foundation. So kind of with that, do you have any advice that you'd like to offer for pressing into the pain and the ache and the longing in prayer? Um, yeah. and do you have any tips for how to view God in this time? Because I had a hard time with it. It sounds like you also had a hard yes. time with it. Um, and very skewed understanding of like, well, God could just give me my husband right now if he felt like it. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. So anyway, so can you like just kind of uh, yes. walk people through that, please? So the way that I learned to pray, my my spiritual director in Phoenix when I was living there, um for the last couple of years of my single life, it's a long story how I ended up there. But um he taught me how to pray like a pirate, which sounds silly, but uh, someone else had taught it to him, some other priest. I don't remember who, what the origin of the praying like a pirate thing is, but it's R, like, you know, R maybe. <laughs> um, so A stands for acknowledge your feelings. First R is relate them to the Lord. Mm. The next R is to receive what the Lord wants to give you in that moment. And the fourth or third R is respond to the Lord in gratitude and in love. So, so I started to use this method of prayer and the hardest part is acknowledging your feelings. Your feelings. I was like, and we're back to therapy. Actually <laughs> getting in touch with how you're feeling, what's going on in your heart and being totally honest with God mm. is super hard. Especially if you were me, the kind of person who always wanted to be the perfect pious Catholic girl. Mm -hmm. My prayers had to be perfect. I never, I, I really had a hard time and I still do sometimes being angry with God. Um, it's much easier for me to be angry with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, instead of just saying, well, God, you could have done things differently. Why didn't you, you know, like mm -hmm. really being like Job and just letting God have it in, in a reverent, not blasphemous way. Right. right. Um, and it was, that took me a good amount of time to finally get to a place and therapy really helped to help me get to the place where I could acknowledge my feelings and not be afraid to relate them to God and to tell him exactly how I was feeling alone, rejected, like he didn't mm -hmm. care about me left behind. Mm -hmm. That was a very common feeling that I had this feeling of just being forgotten. Mm -hmm. And Cause I just saw, I saw so every single one of my friends from college, my, my closest girlfriends from college get married. 
um, including one who had gone discern religious life to the point where she was in a habit, hadn't taken final vows or anything yet, but she was in her, you know, first stage and left the, left the convent, discerned out of the convent, her husband discerned out of the seminary and they got married, uh, a couple of years before I did. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, I had been a bridesmaid in so many weddings. I saw my brother, my younger brother and younger sister get married before me. Mm. I felt forgotten. And when I was finally able to admit that to the Lord and that I was afraid that I was never going to be in, I, I felt like a, a leaf that was being blown through the wind in the wind. Like I was just kind of drifting. There was, I didn't have roots. I didn't have a place to, to say was my home. I didn't feel at home in my parents' home. I didn't feel really at home where I was. I felt, I mean, so many things. And so I was finally able to relate that to the Lord it was a game changer for me. And I think praying that way where you acknowledge your feelings and then tell them to Jesus, because you cannot have a relationship with someone if you don't share your feelings with them. Yes. yes. However messy and bloody and ugly they are like Jesus wants them. Christ longs to know our hearts. Well, he knows them, but he He longs for us to trust him. Part of the reason why it's so silly that we don't. Yeah. Yeah. It feels so intimate and messy. Yes. That we share our feelings with him. It's because he knows that's what we need. Yes. And so, cause he doesn't need our prayers. He doesn't need us to tell us our, him, tell him our feelings, Right. but he wants them. Yes. And when I finally got to that place, I think that was where I was able to really process the pain mm. to cry the tears I needed to cry to, and to just keep going back and saying, I'm still sad. I'm still angry. I'm still hurting, but I'm going to trust you. Mm. And I don't really feel like trusting you. <laughs> so I <laughs> give me yes. the Thank desire you. to trust you. I need you to, I need you to give me the will, the grace to do the hard thing of trusting you and living as though I trust you, even when I don't feel it. And so praying like a pirate, as cheesy as that sounds, you won't be able to forget it. Um, oh. And that journaling was how I did it because that was the best way I could organize my thoughts. So I would write, I would write this out and eventually it just became second nature. Um, So that was a really powerful way for me to press into the pain and, and to see the Lord as someone who wanted to know me and be in relationship with me. Um, because I think I had started to look at the Lord as someone who was withholding something from me Hmm. for some unknown reason. Like it was somehow good for me, Hmm. but he was just holding back. He was not going to give me what I truly desired because I don't know why. Sure. Uh, And that's how I was. And I, and really, if we look at Adam and Eve, that's how they saw God too. Yeah. He was coming back. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. That's what the serpent convinced them. Did God really tell you that? Are you sure he doesn't just want to keep you from being as powerful as he is? Mm. I wanted to be my own God. I mean, that was really what it came down to. I wanted to be in charge of my life. And that is the perennial temptation that all human beings have faced since Adam and Eve. We think we know better than God. Mm-hmm. Even though I have 
abundant evidence that that is not true. <laughs> I have so many examples. And I would tell my students this, I trust the church. I trust the Lord because every time I've tried to do things my way, disaster. Yep. When I've been faithful to him, then even if it's hard, it's not a disaster. It's actually like there's life, there's fruit, there's goodness. And that was, I think it was changing my mentality and it was a, a grace um, of this change in mentality from God is withholding something from me that I somehow deserve to God has gifts for me that he wants to give me in his own time and his own time is not my time. Hmm. And I'm a huge Chronicles of Narnia fan and in the, in the voyage of the Dawn Treader, um, Lucy and, and Aslan are having this conversation and Lucy says, um, when will I see you again? Or something to that effect. And Aslan says soon. And, or no, she asks him when he's going to tell her the story. And he says, I'll, I'll tell it to you soon. And she says, well, what do you call soon? And Aslan says, I call all times soon. And I think about that a lot because time is such a human thing. Mm -hmm. And to us, it feels like it's crawling or it feels like it's speeding ahead. But to God, there is only the present. And to live in that present is what, as hard as it is sometimes, that's what we're called to do. Mm -hmm. And the only way to do that is to get to a place of honesty with the Lord where you can just be 100% yourself, flat on your face, crying, and still after that, know that you are loved. Mm. Um, so it took for me, I went to this monastery outside of Phoenix, um, the poor Claire's monastery. And I would go there. My, my spiritual director told me I could not take any books, <laughs> which was really hard for me. Not even the Bible. I just had to go and sit in silence. Wow. With the Lord. And it was in that prayer because it was really hard. I mean, I went several times and by the, by the final time that I went, I was able to sit there and just really let the Lord love me. I mean, I brought my journal so that I could still pray. Right. I, yeah. I find that really therapeutic, but it was, that was where I realized I'm afraid to die. I'm afraid that Jesus's promises aren't real, that mm. he doesn't really love me, that he doesn't really have a place prepared for me. Um, and that's what I really need to be freed from. That's what I really need to be healed. And so, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. It but. totally does. Oh, thank you. So the last question, what is one practical tip related to thriving in the single life that someone who's discerning marriage could implement today? Um, I mean, there's so many things I could say, I would say number one would be to look at your life and look at your past and your past relationships. If you've had any relationships, um, like romantic or otherwise, um, and even just at your friendships and your relationship with your family and ask yourself, is there a pattern that I see here? Ooh, nice. That's a good question. And if there's a pattern that you see either that they all ended up kind of exploding or with like major conflicts or that there's really nothing like nothing ever happened because you were so afraid to get into any kind of conflict. Right. Um, then I would encourage you to really seriously think about going to therapy. 
um, and talking with a therapist about those things. I've had friends who've gone to therapy and literally have told the therapist, I have nothing to tell you. I have nothing to talk to you about. And a good therapist can help you realize that. <laughs> no, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> a lot to talk about. Um, but if you're not open to it, if you're not really ready to be honest and be real, don't waste your money. Yes. First get to a place where you're like, okay, this is important enough to me that I'm going to just lay it all out there. Mm. It's like confession. I mean, it's not comfortable. Yep. It's so healing. Yep. What I always say is it feels like barfing. Like you feel awful leading up to it. The act yes, itself is like super unpleasant. And then you feel so much better when you're done. Yes. And if you've had trauma in your life, you know, you've had trauma and you, you feel like you've gone to talk therapy and it hasn't really helped. I would really encourage you to look into EMDR, which is um, hoping you'd say that. Yeah. It's a special kind of it's eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. It sounds totally cuckoo. Like how could this possibly work? You look at some lights and you feel some buzzes and it helps you reprocess traumatic memories. And it taps into God's natural healing mechanism in the body, which is when yes. you're seeing in your eye, rapid eye movement. And that's yes. how God programmed the brain to be able to process the things that happened, including traumatic things that happened. But when you get stuck, that, that natural method is not enough. It's like, if you needed to go get stitches because yes, yeah. it could heal on its own, your wound, but it would heal in a way that wasn't actually good for the long-term right. you need real for deep healing. tissue. And that would yep. be, yeah. Yep. So, so it, it, it mimics that. Yes. EMDR was a huge water. It was a watershed moment for me and my healing. Um, when I finally got EMDR because I had done, I'd gone to talk therapy for many, many years where I was just talking through issues that I was having, but I, I felt like I wasn't getting to the roots and EMDR. The beautiful thing about EMDR is that things come up that you didn't even know you were there. Yes. Memories come up that you maybe had completely forgotten or buried. Yep. And there are so many memories that are kept in our bodies that we don't have conscious thoughts about. Yep. But they still affect us. Yes, yes. yes. And that was the key to learning how to regulate my emotions. Um, because once I was free from some of those those things that those wounds that had been just weighing me down for so long. I was able to learn how to regulate my emotions. I was able to learn how to have difficult conversations with people without completely having a panic attack, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, I was able to recognize when I was dysregulated and how to, you know, how to recognize those signs and then do something positive about it instead of trying to manage my dysregulation by shopping or watching Netflix or eating or whatever those other man things we do when we're dysregulated that because we don't know how to help manage it in a healthy way. So yeah, my practical tip is one discern if you need therapy secret, you probably do Two, If you've gone to therapy and you feel like it hasn't helped you or it has, you just like hit a wall, consider going to EMDR. And yeah. you don't have to necessarily have like this profound relationship with your therapist who does EMDR because EMDR is really independent of the therapist. The therapist yes. just has yes. to be trained to do it the right way. Yes. And as yes. long as they read the script, it's your brain. 
thanks to God's healing, natural healing mechanism that does the work. It's not the therapist who does it. So yes, 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 yes. That's my tip. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, Christina. As I mentioned, um, your wisdom written, your written wisdom in your blog um, has really, really enriched my life and helped to free me in so many ways from toxic patterns and idols and stuff. And I just am so grateful that I encountered you and now that you were able to share all of this with my people. So thank you. Thank you. I'm happy I can. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, God bless you. God bless you too. Thanks, Elizabeth. And thank all of you for listening. It was such a joy to bring you along on this conversation. And until next time, stay close to the heart of Jesus and be not afraid. The Discerning Marriage Podcast is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute. For more information about discerning marriage, visit discerningmarriage.com. To learn more about the Theology of the Body, visit tobinstitute.org.